The following message was recorded Wednesday, January 17, 2024. Pastor Ritt takes a break from our study of the book of Ezekiel and shares on just how precise the Word of God was on predicting when Israel would return to the land. If the Word of God is that precise, then what must believers do with that information? And now, here's Pastor Ritt. And these are exciting times, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Iran seems to be attacking all their neighbors lately, haven't they? Yeah, let's see, they made a missile. You know the missile attacks they've been making lately? They made one in Syria, they made one in Iraq, they made one today in Pakistan. Uh, it's just uh, things are heating up over there. Where, as far as God is concerned, is the center of the world? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And if we're going to look at all of human history as God has appointed it, you have to look at Jerusalem because everything centers around Jerusalem. And I have said multiple times, if you know the ninth chapter of Daniel, you'll have no problem with Bible prophecy whatsoever. Why is the ninth chapter of Daniel so important to discerning Bible prophecy? I'm sorry? I told you when to start counting. What are you going to start counting, John? Hmm? The end. Because it gives us the, all of human history from the time in which God is working directly with the nation of Israel, right? He told us that there would be 77-year periods that God would be working with the nation of Israel with regard to the Messiah, first and second coming. And he clearly told us, and we'll get to that text in a minute, but he clearly told us in chapter 9 that there would be 69 seven-year periods, or 483 years, from the time the commandment is given to restore and rebuild Jerusalem by King Artaxerxes, who, that's who gave the command, until the coming of the Messiah, the Prince. And when you look at when that took place, and when Jesus came and made a triumphal entry into Jerusalem, it fit that to the very day. How many days was it? A lot, 173,880 days from the time the command was given until Jesus Christ made his triumphal entry in Jerusalem. And he held Israel responsible to know the day of his visitation. He said, if you, Israel, you only knew the, the peace, the, the, the peace that this day should bring to you. And they were completely oblivious. And I think in the same way, God is going to hold the church, the body of Christ, responsible to know at least the very season of his coming, right? Now, I personally believe, I have a very strong belief that we're in the last days, that we're in the season of his return. Do you believe that? Yeah. And so we know that everything centers around Jerusalem. And the last seven-year period of time in which God is dealing directly with the Jews hasn't occurred yet. There were 69 sevens, and then the Messiah was cut off but not for himself, right? Now, he went to heaven. He ascended after he made that sacrifice for sin, praise God, and he ascended up into heaven. But now God has allowed this period to be called the times of the Gentiles, the Gentiles. The times of the Gentiles, and the times of the Gentiles is almost coming to a close when this church age, as we understand it, is complete. God once again will put all of his attention upon Israel. And there'll be a last seven-year period where God is dealing directly with the nation of Israel. The first three and a half years will be peace, peace and prosperity, seemingly. But the last three and a half years, oh boy, God's, God's wrath poured out on the children of wrath, right? But look with me. You're gonna, we're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 38, because that's where we are tonight. But before we get there, go to Luke chapter 21. Now, when we look at uh, end times literature or apocalyptic literature... Uh, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, 
they all are giving us the same perspective of when Jesus was speaking to his own about the end times and what would be some of the indications or signs of the end of the age. So if you go to Luke 21 for a moment. Let's just look at the prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem beginning in verse 20. You see that? But yeah, everybody there, I'll wait till you get there. Everybody there? Luke 21. Yep, Luke 21, verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you will know that desolation is near. Now, as we go through the text, you'll realize what the armies were that he's talking about there. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. In the midst of her depart, let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Righteous retribution. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babes in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, when, when was it that Israel was dispersed throughout all the nations of the world? When was it that so many were murdered, were, were killed? 70 AD, that's exactly right. Now, it hasn't been a nation from 70 AD until when? Until May of 1948. Even though when Israel was occupying the land, okay, during the time of Christ, who was controlling Palestine? The Romans were, the Romans were, but it was never a nation again until after the Babylonian captivity when Babylon had destroyed Israel. The times of the Gentiles began with the Babylonian conquest of Israel. How many conquests were, or campaigns, military campaigns were made by Babylon into Israel? Three. Three. When was the first one? 605 BC, who was carried away in captivity then? Daniel and his three compadres, right? The next one? And who was carried away then? Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Jeremiah was never carried away to Babylon. Jeremiah died in Egypt, actually. And then lastly, 586 B.C. 586 B.C., that's when the nation was destroyed completely. That's that, the actually beginning of the times of the Gentiles was that first campaign against Israel in 506 or 605 BC. But go with me to Daniel now. Or go to Ezekiel. Go to Ezekiel. Or go to Matthew 24 for a minute. There's something else I want to share. No, no, no. Just, it, you know, I, I got a lot of things swirling around in my head. I don't have any notes. I'm sorry. What did I say? 24. That's what I said. 24. Yep. Now, this is a little bit different time frame. What we're talking about in Luke 21, when he talks about the times of the Gentiles beginning and, and Israel being trodden underfoot, that was in 70 AD, okay? But now, as you look at this portion of Matthew 24, and he's talking about the end of time, the apocalypse, um, let's begin in uh, 
Well, I'll begin at verse 4. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet, for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. Now, all these things have taken place throughout the world, but, but now they're all coming together about the same time. You know, you see what's happened in, was it Iceland? The volcanoes and earthquakes there. We look at the, the we are under the threat of, of World War III like never before. You don't understand how close we are to this becoming a real worldwide conflict. It's already becoming a regional conflict, hasn't it? Uh, how many missiles does Hezbollah have? How, how many missiles does Hezbollah have? How many? 130,000. Yeah. They have 130,000. Hezbollah is far, far stronger than Hamas. Now, if you've been paying attention to the news of the last couple of days, it appears that Israel is about to, to enter into a preemptive war with Hezbollah. I don't know if you're paying attention to that, anybody? Seeing the news? Yeah, it looks like that's about to take place at any time now. Now, that's a very, very serious escalation of this regional conflict, and that's going to be drawing in other parties in the world. We're, we're seeing the formation of what God has predicted here 2,500 years ago by Ezekiel in chapters 38 and 39. But nonetheless, look at with me. Wars, rumors of war, see that you're not troubled. All these things are the beginning of sorrows, verse 9 of chapter 24 of Matthew. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, kill you, and be hated for all nations for my name's sake. Oh boy, is that happening today? The anti-Semitism that is swelling today? And then many will be offended, will betray one another, will hate one another. And then many false prophets will arise and deceive many because of lawlessness, because of the lawlessness that will abound. Many, the love of many will grow cold. Are we in a period of lawlessness in this nation? Oh, boy. Yeah. But this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads this, let him understand. What, what is that talking about? And where is he? Standing in the rebuild of the holy of the temple and the holy of holies, proclaiming himself to be God. That's what he's talking to there. Who was a type of that? Antiochus Epiphanes. Yeah. Let him who's on the housetop not go down and get, take anything out of the house. Let him who is in the field not go back to his get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant in those days and nursing babies. And pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days elect's sake, those days were shortened. If anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and show many great signs and wonders as, so as to deceive, if possible, even the Alexi I've told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, don't go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Now, we have a lot of false prophets today and a lot of false teachers and false apostles. Okay, so you've got to be very careful. Where does the sermon really come from? From the Bible. Knowing the Word of God. The more you know of the Word of God, Old Testament, New Testament, the more you understand the Word of God, the st stronger your ability to discern 
your ability to interpret the word of God. Now, now here we're talking about the tribulation period. We're talking about the very end of the tribulation. Unless those days be shortened, unless Jesus intervened, no flesh would be left. We'll use weapons of mass destruction. We'll render this entire planet sterile. It would be a sterile cinder out there in space. Do you understand that? And we, was it, uh, was it at the men's study or was it Saturday, Sunday? I forget sometimes. I, I mentioned why that was so, why he had to wait till the very end. When did I mention it? Men's study? Okay. What did I say, gentlemen? Correct. Correct. The real, the real contest is, does God have the right to rule over everything? Every demon, every angel, every man, every woman, does God have the right to control your life to tell you what to do? Yes or no? Yes. yes, of course. He's the only one who can acquire the knowledge of evil and not have it corrupt him. And, and so that's what we said. I shared that with you. The reason why he doesn't intervene right now is because we would say he didn't give us enough time. We'll create our own utopia. Don't you know every day and in every way things are getting better and better? We have the elitists now in Davos, and what are they doing? Planning a future without you. <laughs> you do understand that, don't you? Yeah. You know, the real question is, they ask themselves, why do we even need any of you? Hmm, isn't that interesting? Monsters, monsters they are, all of them, right? But, but nonetheless, the point I want to make is that God has gotten total control of the situation, and we are in the last days, and he's given us so many signs to look for. Now, he said that there will come a period of time where Jerusalem will be trodden underfoot by the Gentiles. But at the end of that period, that's when things begin to com be completed, the consummation of the age. Now, we said the trampling of Jerusalem by the Gentiles began when? When? The trampling of Jerusalem by the Gentiles. The time of the Gentiles. When did it begin? 605 B.C. Yeah, go, go to Ezekiel now. Go to Ezekiel chapter 37. The dispersion of the Jews happened in 70 A.D. where they were dispersed, and that was the fulfillment of Matthew 24 and some of the prophecies we saw there, that they would be dispersed throughout the nations of the world, they would be killed, and they have to flee for their life, and they did. Now, that, that is when Israel was destroyed for the second time, but the real starting point of the period of the Gentiles trotting Jerusalem underfoot or trampling Jerusalem underfoot really began with the Babylonian siege against Jerusalem in 605 B.C. Where did I say to go? Ezekiel 37? 38? Now, last time we were together, we saw how God had prophesied the rebirth of the nation, right? He even said that they would rebuild the ruined places. You look at uh, verse 36. And then the nations which are left all around shall, shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will do it. He talks about bringing them up from their graves. Uh, chapter 37, verse 12, therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, O my people, I will open up your graves. I will cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord and I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. They're coming up from the dead. 
Now, isn't it amazing that if you go to Israel, how many of you have been to Israel? And you, you go throughout Israel and you find all of these places that still carry their ancient names, right? You've been to those places. They still carry their ancient names. Oh, the ancient places have been rebuilt, haven't they? Uh, many of you have probably seen the films in 1945 when the Allies had released all of those Jews who were in these concentration camps and, and liberated these camps. You remember, do you remember seeing any of those films? What did you see? What did, what did you see? Walking dead. That's the way they were described by all of the news media at that time. You know, many of these Jews couldn't even walk. They were so emaciated. They were so, uh, they were walking dead men and women, weren't they? I brought you up from your graves. I planted you back in your land. I rebuilt the ancient places. Isn't that precisely what God did? When did he do that? In our time, right now, right now. Isn't that amazing? Mm. Now, I want to talk for a moment about how we know that this is the period of time approaching the very end of the period of the Gentiles trotting Jerusalem underfoot. I said, go, go to Daniel 9 for a minute. Uh, Ezekiel Daniel. Daniel 9. The angel Gabriel is answering Daniel's question with regard to his holy people, the Jew, and with regard to the holy city, Jerusalem. And that's what he wants to answer, right? We've been through this before. Uh, but very quickly, just look at verse 24. He begins to say, 70 weeks are determined. There's 70 heptabs or 70 seven-year periods are determined for your people. Who is this people? That's not the church? No. Your people, the Jews, and for your holy city, Rome? No, Jerusalem. To do several things. First, to finish transgressions, to make an end to sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity. When did that happen? At the first coming, at the cross, right. That's Luke chapter 4, 16 through 21. That's the fulfillment of those things. Now, the next thing he said was, the last part of that, verse 24, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. When did that happen? That's the second coming. That hasn't happened yet. Now, that's what we're talking about. That's what's about to take place. When the fullness of the times of the Gentiles is complete, when the church age is over, God is going to beginning to work in Israel once again. 69 seven-year periods have passed. Look what it says, verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going of the fourth command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince. There should be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The seven weeks are 49 years, which it took to, to rebuild the city after they went back in the temple. But the, in the 62 weeks combined, there's no break in the two. It's a 69 period of weeks, 69 seven-year periods, 483 years. The Jewish calendar had how many days? 360. 360. So you do the multiplication, what did you come up with? 173,880 days. So from the time the command was given by Artaxerxes to go back and rebuild the city, rebuild the temple, but God said in his word there's going to be 173,880 days the Messiah is going to be here. That's precisely when Luke 19 was fulfilled. Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And he goes on to say, but after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off after the second period of that. And he was, he was crucified. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end shall be with the flood until the end of the wars of desolation are determined. When is that? Verse 26, who, who was the, the, the prince of the people to come? It was, really, it was uh, the Romans. The Romans came in, and when did they destroy the temple? 
70 AD. Now, there's a gap in time between 26 and verses 26 and verses 27. There's a big gap in time. What's the gap in time? 2,000 years. And what is that called? The church age. That's the church age. The church age is this gap in time here between verses 26 and 27. And it goes on to say, after the church age, then God is working directly with Israel once again, and he, and he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Now, who is he talking about? The Antichrist. And what's the covenant he's going to make? Yes, yes. Now, what we're going to be seeing shortly is the fulfillment of what we're going to be studying tonight, Ezekiel 38 and 39, where Iran, Russia, and Turkey, or Togama, are going to come against Israel. But they're not going to succeed. A lot of the Jews are going to be, unfortunately, murdered, uh, but they won't succeed in their conquest of Israel, and they'll be driven back, and who's going to intervene? God's going to intervene. God's going to intervene on Israel's behalf. All the world will know that there's a God in Israel who watches over her. Five-sixths of that invading force will be destroyed. In the aftermath of that is when the Antichrist will rise to power. Antichrist, a, a Russian? A Turk? An Iranian? I think he's part Jew. Why do I say that? Where does it say that? In the book. Go to Daniel chapter 11. It's in there, it's in there. We'll find it. Together we got it all, don't we? Dun, dun, dun. I'm sorry? Yep. Yeah, chapter 36, you have a, uh, chapter 11, verse 36. Do you have a heading over that? Anybody else? Anybody else have a heading over verse 36 in chapter 11? The what? And who is that? That's the Antichrist. We're talking about the Antichrist. Now, we have some clues as to how we can identify who the Antichrist is. He's not a Russian. He's not a Turk. He's not an Iranian. And then the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god. He shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods. Who's that? Jesus. Jesus. And he shall prosper, prosper till the wrath has been accomplished for what he has been determined shall be done. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers. Now, what does that indicate for us? The God is, is a capital G. Who's the God of his fathers? Who are his fathers? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he is at least a part Jew. He's at least a part Jew, okay? He may not be a full Jew, but he's part Jew. Do you, you know, remember when the uh, Iranian uh, leader there, the little guy that looked like Caesar, no offense, Caesar, you're not here. <laughs> what was his name? What was it? Abinajab. Uh, he, was, he was part Jew. Did you know that? Amazing. Part Jew. Unbelievable. So he's going to be at least part Jew. It's the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women. What does that mean? I think it's twofold. He could be a homosexual. Okay, because you have no desire for women. But what was the desire of women in that day in the Old Testament period for Jews? What did every young maiden want to do? Bear the Messiah. Bear the Messiah, right? That's what they desired, right? The fulfillment of Isaiah. 
and he shall magnify himself above all, them all, but in their place he shall honor a God of fortresses and a God which his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver, precious stones, pleasant things. He shall act against the strongest fortresses with a foreign God, which he shall acknowledge and advance his glory, and he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land by gain. Now, who's this God he's worshiping? Satan. Satan. He wants power from Satan. So he's worshiping Satan. The Antichrist is going to be, as much as, as Jesus Christ was God incarnate, God in the flesh, the Antichrist is Satan in the flesh. Hmm, interesting. Okay, so at that period of time, that's when there'll be a covenant that's made between Israel and the Antichrist at the aftermath of the Gog-Magog conflict in chapters 38 and 39. From the ashes of that rises this European part Jew, homosexual leader who's going to bring a false peace to the Middle East. And they're going to be allowed to rebuild their temple. Now, that'll begin the period of that last seven-year period in which God is dealing directly with the nation of Israel. But I just want to show you a little bit of more information that we would have to help us pinpoint and indicate when that period began and when it ended. So go with me to Ezekiel chapter 4 for a minute. And we've been here before, if you were with me during that time. Chapter 4, verse 4. Do you have a heading? The sign of Ezekiel lying on his side. He must have back trouble. But I'm sure he did after this, right? Now, here God is using Ezekiel to play out a judgment that he's bringing about for Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom. And so Ezekiel is laying on his left side and his right side to indicate the number of years of judgment for each. It says here in verse 4, chapter 4 of Ezekiel, Lie also on your left side, and lay the iniquity of the house of Israel, the northern kingdom, upon it. According to the number of the days that you lie on it, you shall bear their iniquity. For I have laid on you the years of their iniquity according to the number of the days, 390 days, so you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. So what is God saying? The judgment of Israel, the northern kingdom, will be for how long? How long? 390 years, the judgment of the northern kingdom. How many good kings in the north? None. None, zero. In the south, how many good kings in the south? Eight, eight, eight. <laughs> Four of them reformers, right? But, but nonetheless, who's the last king in the northern kingdom? Bad, wicked man. Ahab, Ahab, Ahab. Okay, so 390 years of judgment for the northern kingdom. But then it goes on to say in verse 6, And when you have completed them, lie again on your right side. Then you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Judah 40 years, and I have laid on you a day for each year. So what is he saying there? 40 years. There'll be 40 years of judgment that he's talking about, right? 40 years in which the combined judgment now, 30, 390 and 40 years is what? How much? 430 years in total, okay? And that's the years of judgment that they owe God. How many years did they actually go into judgment for? How many? 70. 70 years is the prophesied amount of judgment that God brought upon Israel. 
70 years of captivity with Babylon. It was prophesied in 2 Chronicles. It was prophesied by Jeremiah later on. Uh, even Ezekiel mentions it'll be a 70-year period of captivity. They learned their lesson, though, didn't they? They didn't learn a lesson? How do you know they didn't learn a lesson? They went back to their idolatrous practices, right? But there's a judgment if God judges them and they don't learn the lesson that God will do. Look at Leviticus 26. In Leviticus 26, he talks about the basic requirements for obedience, beginning in verse 1, the conditions and the results of obedience, beginning in verse 3 to 13, and then he talks about the conditions and results of disobedience, beginning in verse 14. So if you obey God, you're blessed. If you disobey, you're going to be cursed. Now, he said, if he begins to judge you and punish you and you don't learn your lessons, he's going to do something. Look what it says in verse uh, 18. After this, after this judgment, if you do not obey me, this is chapter 26 of Leviticus. You there? Okay. Verse 18. After this, after this punishment, if you still do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. Okay. Look at verse 21. Then if you walk contrary to me and are not willing to obey me, and I will bring on you seven times more plagues according to your sins. Look at verse 24. Then I saw, uh, beginning of verse 23, and if by these things you are not reformed by me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you, and I will punish you yet seven times more for your sins. One more time. Uh, look at verse 27. And after this, if you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in your, my fury, and even I, even I, will chasten you what? Seven times for your sins. Okay, so God declared that they owed him how many years of judgment? Northern kingdom, southern kingdom? 430, 430 years, thank you. How many years have they already served? 70. 70. 430 minus 70? Who's got a calculator? Somebody got a calculator? Anybody got a calculator? You're going to need a calculator. Who's got a calculator? Who has a calculator? You got your phone? I'm sorry. You got your phone on? Who's got your phone on? Thank you, Amy. You got a calculator? Okay, okay. So we had 430 years, right? God had prophesied. They already served 70 years. So what's left? 360. 360. 360 years of judgment. We got to multiply that. Now, did they learn their lesson? No. So we have to multiply that by what? Times seven. Okay, what do you got there? 2520, okay. So they owe God 2,520 2, years of judgment yet to come, right? Yeah. Is that right? Okay, now what kind of a calendar do they use? How many days in the year? 360. 360. Multiply that times 360. What did you get? 907,200, right? 907,200, right? Okay. Now, when did we say this all began, this time of the Gentiles? 605 B.C. Now, I would like to suggest, let me see if I can find where I put my note here. <clears throat> 605 the third month is when it all began, right? 605, the third month. Now, if you minus 70 years, 605.3 minus 70, what you got? 
Yeah. No, 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 no. Oh, sorry. 605.3. 605.3. Yeah, minus the 70 years that they served. Bingo. Now that's when we start counting again now because now they didn't learn their lesson. So we multiplied that judgment times seven. When we multiply times seven, they owed God 2,520 years. Is that right? And we multiply that by the number of days they owed God what? Nine hundred and seven thousand two hundred days. Now, they use a sixty-three hundred sixty-day calendar, right? We use a three sixty-five point two five calendar, right? Okay, take those days, nine oh seven two hundred. Divide that by the three sixty-five point two five. What do you got? No, you're gonna you're gonna take nine oh seven two hundred. Divided by 365.25. What do you got over there, Yah? What do you got? Okay, you round it out. It's rounded out as 2,483.8. Is that correct? Okay, now you, you got a minus from that, which what they've already served, or where, we, where our beginning point is. We said the beginning point was because it began in 605, the third month. They served 70 years. You multiply the, you subtract the 70 years, and you come up with 335, the third month BC, right? Yeah. Now, now what you do is you have to subtract that from the 2,483.8. What do you come up with? Okay. <laughs> All right, I'll go slow. Woo. All right, here we go. Okay, what, what number must we 2,483.8. Okay, all right. So Minus the starting point. Minus, now that's what they owed God in the number of years by our calendar, 365.25 days. <laughs> now, if you subtract with a starting point, which was at 535, the, th the third month, 535.3, what did you end up with? You subtract that from that number. What do you got? 1948.5. What happened May 1948? Is that not amazing to you? That's amazing prophecy. That God brought it right down to the very, the time of the period of the Gentiles was over, May 1948. How do we get there again? You remember how we got there? Let me go slowly. Ezekiel had determined in chapter 4. Ezekiel determined in chapter 4 that were, there were 360 years, uh, 390 years of judgment for the northern kingdom. And for the southern, southern kingdom, there were 40 years of judgment, correct? And we added the two, and what did we have? 430 years. They already served 70 years in Babylon. So you subtract the 70 from the 430, and what did you get? 360. Now, now God said in, in Leviticus, if you don't learn your lesson, I'm going to multiply this judgment times seven. When we multiply it times seven, that's when you came up with, with uh, all, all those years. Uh, what were the years? 2520. 2,520 years. They owed God. Now, when we looked at the starting point or when the judgment began in 605, the third month, and we said, okay, they served 70 years. When you do the 70 years from there, you got the 535, the third month BC. Now, from that point on is when that, that judgment will continue. 
and we said when you do all of the math, when you take that 2,520 years, multiply it times their calendar, which 360 day year calendar, 360 days a year, you multiply it out, that's when you came to the 907,200. Now, if you divide that according to our calendar, 365.25, then you came up with the 2483.8. Now, you gotta subtract from that where we're beginning because there are already seven years of judgment, right? But the end, that judgment ended in 535, the third month. When you subtract it from there, you come up with 1948, the fifth month. Is that not amazing? The period of the times of the Gentiles where Jerusalem was trodden underfoot. It first began with the Babylonians, and then who? The Medes and the Persians, and then who? And then who? And then who? And, and Israel never became a nation again, controlling their own borders, a sovereign nation again, until May 14, 1948. Is that not amazing? Wow. You know how close we are? Hmm. <laughs> now, now, the, the 70th 7 of Daniel hasn't clicked off yet. That hasn't started. But, but we are finishing. The, the time of the Gentiles where Jerusalem was trodden underfoot is over. Jerusalem is a sovereign nation now. Jerusalem is one of the most powerful nations on the earth. Surely the most powerful nation in that part of the world, isn't it? No doubt. And isn't it amazing, after all these years, after millennium, that the whole world is still concerned about Jerusalem. But God said he would bring them back in the land. He'd bring them back from the dead. And he would resurrect their ancient places, even their own ancient language of Hebrew. Isn't this amazing to you? Wow. Now, the only thing yet to be fulfilled now is for the church age to be over, for when the fullness of the... Of the uh, as Paul puts it in Romans, he says, do not be deceived, my brethren, until the, the uh, fullness of the Gentiles of the church age is complete, is the way he puts it, excuse me, in Romans. Then God will be working again with Israel. Then that 70th seven of Daniel will start to click off, right? So we're very, very close to the end of the church age. We're already, we're, we know the age of the Gentiles dominating Jerusalem is over. When, did, when was that over? May 14, 1948. Fascinating. Now, very, very soon, we're going to see that God is going to be through. He's going to accomplish his will with the Gentile church, or what we call the church, right? We should really call it the ecclesia, the called out assembly. But when the fullness, that's how he says it. He says, when the fullness of the Gentiles is complete. When he means by that, it was when that last Gentile believer surrenders his life to the Lord, God's done with working with the Gentiles predominantly, now he's going to work primarily among the Jews. And he's going to spiritually awaken Israel, which is what he was prophesying here in chapter 37. And when that takes place, then Israel is going to be attacked. But they're going to recognize who their God is. Now, there's a lot of things taking place that God is doing supernaturally in Israel right now as a result of what happened since October 7th. You've been paying attention to any of that? Some of the miracles that are taking place, miraculous deliverances, and, and these Israelis, I mean, it's amazing how, how all of these Jews from all over the world are making Aliyah back to Israel because they feel a call by God to be there. And that's what God precisely said he would do. And he would make them rich in the last days. Why is Russia so concerned about Israel? Oil. Do you know how many barrels of oil they've discovered right off the coast of Israel? Any idea? 
They just right off the coast of Israel, not, not, not the coast of Italy, not, you know, not the coast of the United States, uh, east or west coast, well, right off the coast of Israel, two billion barrels of oil. No less than two billion barrels of oil. Not, not, to call them, not, not even speaking of all of those gas fields they have found in the Leviathan gas fields just inside of Israel. Israel is rich with oil and natural gas. <laughs> if you haven't already, folks, turn off your cell phone. <laughs> I'm sorry? No, no, she was using her calculator. We didn't need his calculator. <laughs> you got all that? Any questions on that so far? Yeah, yeah, 1948.5. It's a decimal. I'm just, I'm saying the fifth month. Wow. It would be July if it was the 0.5. What do you mean July? Because five is Oh, yeah, 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 I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, you don't, don't get technical with me, okay? Don't get technical with me, Roger. Don't be a Pharisee. I'm, I'm just making a point. This is very, you know, this is beyond coincidence, okay? It's beyond coincidence, isn't it? 1948? You know, it, He rounded up and he could technically it was 0.77 and if you take 3, 5, 6, 7, you get 4. So technically it is a. Don't, listen, don't, don't, listen. Listen, I'm going to watch this again. I'm In Ezekiel chapter 4. God proclaimed there would be a period of judgment for Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom. He proclaimed that there would be 390 years for Israel in the north. He proclaimed that there would be 40 years for the south. That was 300, what was that? Uh, 430 years. They, he already had, had indicated through Jeremiah and, and recorded again for us in 2 Chronicles, later on Ezekiel, that the captivity in Babylon would be how long? 70 years. So they served 70 years of that 430-year sentence. So now you need to subtract that. So the remaining sentence of judgment they owed God was 360 years, right? But then we went to Leviticus where God said, if you don't learn your lessons, you know, when, when God cleans the house and he exercises all those demonic influences out of your life, if you don't fill your life with him, what happens? He comes back with seven more, far worse than himself, and your, your latter condition is far worse than your former, right? Well, basically, he says the same thing, essentially, in Leviticus when he says, if you don't learn your lesson, I'm going to multiply your judgment times seven. And he said that repeatedly, I think uh, four or five times. He said that in Leviticus 26, times seven, times seven, times seven, times seven. So we said, okay, they owe God 360 years, Right? to their sentence. They still owe 360 years on their sentence. If you multiply it by the seven, that's when you come up with the, the 2520. 2,520 years that they owed God. We said, okay, let's use their calendar to determine how many days that might be. If you multiply that times the number of days, 360 days in a year, it was the 907,200. Okay? Then I said, okay, but let's divide that by our calendar, which is 365.25. And that's when you came up with the, uh, what is it, the 24, I can't read it from here, 
2483.8. Yeah, it's 0.8 when you round it out. And then if you subtract where we have to begin from, because the beginning of the judgment was in 605, the third month. It was 70 years. 70 years, you come up to the, uh, what did I say, uh, 535, the third month. If you subtract that from that number, that's when you come up with a 1948.5. I say May. May 1948. Wow. Is that not amazing to you? I mean, I mean, you know, I'm not being exact, okay, but this is it's beyond coincidence, isn't it? Yeah. No. Oh, it's just one more. Let's just listen. It's just one more of many indicators that we are in the time singular of the signs plural. You understand that? There's a multitude of signs taking place right now to indicate for us that we're very close to the end. Do you believe that? Yeah. If that be so, how should that affect your life? I'm sorry? We need to examine ourselves every day. Take up your cross and deny yourself every day. Every day. Every day. Um, meeting with someone today who was trying to get his life straightened out with Christ because he sees, he sees what's happening. And, and I told him, I said, yeah, you, you, you know, it, it's imperative. It's imperative that we get our lives right with God. What did I say the word for the years? Confess. Confession. What's the word? And what does it mean? Homo logos. Same word. Same. Listen, we're to live our life in harmony. Same word. We live the word. The written word tells us about the living word, right? Well, the living word, if we're going to confess the living word, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who is in heaven. Confessing him before men means we're living our life in accordance with his word. Same word. Now, the question is, you have to ask yourself, in what area of your life are you not? Then that's where you need to make an adjustment. Because we're very close. Jesus said in that same apocalyptic literature of Luke 21, he said, pray always. Watch ye therefore. In the Greek text, sleep with one eye open. Watch ye therefore and pray always. The word prayer is to be begging God. What? Pray and beg him for what? Yes. Now, who's he speaking to? In the context of the text, go, go to Luke 21 again. Go to, you know, maybe we won't get to Ezekiel this morning, this evening. I don't know. We'll have a good time anyway, right? Luke 21, a serious sober time. Okay, in verse 5 of chapter 21, there's a heading there. What does it say? Okay. Anybody else have anything? Okay, the disciples asked two questions. And he's going to predict the destruction of the temple. But who's Jesus talking to now? Who's asking the questions? The disciples. The disciples, the apostles of the Lord. He's not talking to the multitudes. He's talking to his own. Okay, and then he, as he's going on, he's giving all these signs with regard to the second coming and the end of the age as we would know it. He gives that parable of the fig tree, and we know what the fig tree is. I mean, my gosh, that's another fulfillment. 1948, what happened? The leaves of the fig tree turned green. Israel became a nation among the nations once again. That was prophesied. 
He said, when you see the leaves of the fig tree turn green, you know this, that the generation that sees this will see what? <coughs> the end of the age. We've seen the leaves of the fig tree turn green. We're the generation that's going to see the end of the age. There are so many scriptures to indicate we are so close to the end. And if that be so, boy, oh boy, more than ever, we just need to surrender our life to the Lord and let him use us in any way he sees fit. Amen? But he goes on to say in verse 34, speaking to his own, but he knows his own will not be experiencing this. Who's going to experience this? What he's going to be talking about now, beginning in verse 34. Who's going to be experiencing this? We are. I am. You are. You understand that? He says, but take heed to yourself. Who's he talking to? Me. Me. Oh, boy. You know. How, how many people are living so carelessly, taking the relationship with the Lord so casually, living as fools, not discerning the times for the days are evil. Paul said in Ephesians, walk circumspectly. Walk very, very, very carefully. The indication is you're in enemy territory. Walk as such. The enemy's always trying to set us up, isn't he? Isn't he? Yeah. Take heed to yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, the cares of this life, and that that day come upon you unexpectedly. Who's he talking to? His own. You mean that day can come upon us unexpectedly? Yes. Yes. We're going to be held responsible to know the season of his return. Do you understand that? Just as Israel was held responsible, Luke 19, if you only you knew the day of, his visit, of your visitation, the things that make for your peace, but now they've escaped you. We should know them better than anyone. Do you understand that? For it will come as a snare upon all those who dwell upon the face of the whole earth. They're not going to expect it. It's going to be sudden, it's going to be so quick and so sudden, and it's going to take the whole world off guard. Therefore, watch, therefore, watch. This is where you get the, in the Greek text, sleep with one eye open. Pray always, begging God, begging what? That you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. You mean, it's possible that I wouldn't be worthy? Is that the indication here? What's he implying? Yes, he's implying that you possibly might not be worthy. Do you understand that? There, there are a number of warnings that are given to us by Jesus and his apostles in the New Testament that tell us as believers, you need to be very, very careful to make sure you're in right relationship with the Lord so that when he does come, you'll be going with him. The rapture and, and salvation are not the synonymous. They're not the same. Do you understand that? Every Christian who has the Holy Spirit dwelling within them is saved. Is that right? Now, are there different degrees of surrender, devotion to the Lord by those Christians? Are there? Yeah. And, and based upon that, it determines the reward that you'll receive. Now, I'm just telling you what I believe. You don't have to believe me. But I believe that the rapture is not synonymous with salvation. It's not a guarantee for every believer. It is a reward. And there are a number of scriptures that I can give you to support that. The multitude of disciples that served the Lord. Thousands came out. Out of them, he chose 35 evangelistic teams. How many were they? 70. Out of the 70 he chose, out of the 12 he chose, from the three he chose, 
Now you got to ask yourself, what's the difference? I thought he loved us all the same. There's no partiality with God. No, there isn't. But he rewards us. We, you don't get judged on your works. You get rewarded for your works as believers. Unbelievers get judged for their works. Believers get rewarded. The bema seat is a reward. You understand that? And, and my, posi my position, you don't have to agree with me, and it's okay, but my position is the rapture of the church is a reward for faithful servants. Pray that you will be found worthy to escape because the indication is there'll be many who don't. Do you understand that? And that's, that's going to be my appeal to you and to anybody who would like to come and listen while the Lord tarries is to get your house in order. The Lord's coming. You know, we're praying for Pastor Darren's mom. She's been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Now, now I'm sure that there are several things that she and Darren's dad need to get in order. When my wife was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, uh, we, we would have had 54 years of marriage today if the Lord hadn't taken her. But when she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer and we looked at the situation realistically, we knew we didn't have a lot of time. And so we had to get some things in order. We had to make plans for her ascension, her departure. And they made plans for mine at the same time. I need to get my house in order, you see? Now, how, how much, listen, how much more so? Now, we don't know when our day comes. We don't know. I don't know if any of you are diagnosed with terminal cancer. But we don't, we don't know how many, I, no guarantee. I, I tied my shoes this evening. There's no guarantee I'm going to be the guy to untie them tonight. Maybe somebody at the morgue, at the hospital, maybe my wife. Who, you don't know. But the Lord is indicating for us, and his word is clear, and I believe the signs are replete. The plurality of signs in the time singular that we're in today demand that we get our house in order. Does that make sense? Now, there's a lot of people playing fast and loose, claim, claim, claim Christianity, but they're fornicating, they're adulterers and adulteresses, they're, they're covetous, they're greedy. It's all about what they can acquire in this world. It's all about their pleasures. And, and if that's how you're living, that's what he said, the care, and then he, or you're not carousing, but the cares of this world can steal you away from the calling he has on your life. Do you understand that? Good news. The good news, if we just surrender and ask him, Lord, I'm praying. We pray it all the time, don't we? Lord, make us worthy. Help us, Lord. You're able, Lord. Lord, bring me to that place where I will be worthy, that when you come, I know I will go with you. Amen? We're so close. We're so close. Um, We just got a few more minutes. I, I, Ezekiel 38 and 39, I'll save for next week. Questions, comments? You saved but unworthy. What happens to What do you think happens to them? Go to, go to Revelation. Go to Revelation. Hang on.
Which, which page do I want? Let me see. <laughs> Chapter 6 of Revelation. All right, listen to me. Uh, how many of the apostles were martyred? All but one. Yeah, all but one. Only one apostle was not martyred. Who? John. Why was John not martyred? Lucky guy, huh? Why? He what? He was the one who was closest to Christ. He, he purposed that he would give his life for Christ. If you will confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. When Jesus was arrested that night, Judas was gone. He was a betrayer. There was 11 left. When Jesus was arrested that night, what happened to 10 of them? Run for your life. Right? It's preservation of my life at all costs. And John said, no, it's living for life for Jesus no matter what it costs me. Isn't that what he said? How do we know that? That was John's heart. They all said, run for your life at all costs. And John said, no, I'm going to live for Jesus no matter what it costs. Why? How do we know that? He stayed at the cross. He risked his life. He and the women. The women. It's no wonder why the women were the first to see him. Right, Mary? Because of the way she loved, she was so devoted to him. She gave him everything. John was willing to be there at the cross, risk his life in his identification with Jesus, and therefore he was the only one that was a martyr. Now, what, how do we process that? How do we understand that? Who gave you the faith to believe? God. Do you know, I believe, my particular position is, no one leaves here without God showing them, manifesting for them, the saving faith that he's given you. Now, one way or another, he's going to do that. You're going you're to see that it was his faith working in you. He has saved me, and he keeps me saved, and one day he'll bring me to glory, right? Now, John's faith was proven genuine where? At the cross. The other ten, their faith was proven genuine where? In martyrdom. Now, there are, a lot of, there are a lot of people who, if you look at their life, they claim Christianity, and whether they are or not, I don't know. I, I can't judge anybody's heart. I'm not God. I'm simply to examine their fruit. If they have fruit in their life, then I can say, okay, there's evidence of salvation. If they're fruitless, all I can say is, I don't think they've ever been to the cross. That's right? Is that true? But I really don't know. I, I have no capacity to determine that. Right? And there are a lot of people who claim Jesus, claim to know the Lord, love the Lord, but boy, they're sure not living for him. They're, they're living for pleasures, some very inappropriately. Right? They're living for possessions. They're, they're living for position. They're living for a lot of things. There's lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the pride of life, but not Jesus. Now, I, I, don't, I wouldn't want to be that kind of a fool and think I can live like that and still have the promise and the hope of heaven. You can't have a lost life and a saved soul. Is that true? No. And so my position is I want to be as close to Jesus as I can because I want to be found worthy when he comes. Now, if I'm wrong and you're drawing as close to the Lord as you possibly can, what do you lose? Nothing. If I'm right, and I wouldn't be any of you, I know that. But if I'm right and you're playing fast and loose with your faith and you're living more like the world than you are the Lord's child, that's a very serious concern, isn't it? If I'm right, isn't it? Now, th their faith had to be proven genuine in martyrdom. John's faith was proven in his 
daily surrender. Take up your cross daily. Deny yourself and follow me. That, that denial of self comes in so many forms, doesn't it? I mean, every single day. It's true, isn't it? Chapter 6 of Revelation answers your question, Roger. In chapter 6, in verse 9, we have a title. What's the title say? You don't have one? Here, look at mine. Fifth seal. Thank you. Fifth seal. Anybody have a fifth seal? Okay, let's look at the fifth seal judgment. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Who's the word of God? Jesus, for the testimony of Jesus. And, and <clears throat> they cried out with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you avenge our blood on those who dwell upon the whole earth? And a white robe was given to each of them. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. Their faith has been proven genuine in their martyrdom. They're going to lose their life for Christ. Is this during the tribulation? Is this during the tribulation? Yes, yes, yes. Chapter 7, now chapter 7 follows chapter 6. Chapter 7 identifies two groups of people. The first group is 144,000 who? Jews. There are 140,000 Jews, 12,000 from each tribe. They're, they're Apostle Pauls. 12,000 from every tribe, Apostle Pauls running around Jerusalem evangelizing. Wow. We know what one man did. That one miraculous conversion, right? Okay, but then there's a second group of people he, he's going to identify. That group of people is this very group that we see under the altar on the fifth seal. Look what it says. Going to verse 9 of chapter 7. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. Who are they? And how many are there? Can't number them. John numbered an army coming across the Euphrates. How many were there? He, 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 he numbered an army of 200 million. I don't, I don't know what calculator he used for that. But, but he said, this group, I can't even, I, they're innumerable. I can't even tell you how big this group is. And what are they? Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, I, I didn't get raptured. I'm still here. Church age over? Time of the Gentiles over? Trampling on the foot of Jerusalem over? Yes, yes, the church age is over. The time of the Gentiles is over. The, the trampling on the foot of Jerusalem by the Gentiles is over. Okay? So this is a tribulation period. This is God is not working predominantly among Gentiles any longer. Who's he working predominantly among? Jesus. It's the 70 and 7 of Daniel. He's awaking Israel. Right? All Israel shall be saved. He's national Israel, not every Jew. But he's, there's a spiritual revival taking place. It's the fulfillment of Ezekiel 37. That spiritual revival that's going to take place just prior to 38 and 39 being fulfilled, Ezekiel. That's what this is. Now, now these folks, did they get saved during the tribulation? I'm sorry? We don't know. 
But we can conclude, based upon what we do in all of scriptures, that the Holy Spirit is no longer. The fullness of the Gentiles is complete. The fullness of the Gentiles is complete. John, when, when Paul writes in uh, Romans 9, 10, and 11, talking about God's going to be reviving Israel. And when he revives Israel, he's done with the church. He's done with the Gentiles. The fullness of the Gentiles is complete. So, so you have to conclude, and I know, I know I'm, it's not... It's implicit, but implied in the text, based upon everything we read from Scripture, these people went into the tribulation saved. Do you understand that? Because the fullness of the Gentiles is complete. He's working with Israel. Does that make sense? He said there's a period of time when the church age will be over. A period of time when this, this, this domination of Jerusalem by the Gentiles will be over. And he's going to be working predominantly upon Israel so that all the world may know what? He is God. That he is God. Okay? Now, I can be wrong. So it's open for interpretation. I'm just giving you my interpretation. And obviously, I believe it. Look at the text. Every tribe, nation, peoples, tongue standing before the throne and before the Lamb, what are they? Clothed with what? Oh, isn't that what happened to these people in the fifth seal? Under the throne of God? What does it say? And each one, verse 11, had a white robe was given to each one. It's the same group of people. Listen, keep reading. White robes with palm branches in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels that stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures fell down before their faces before the throne. And they worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. And ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered me, talking to John now, and he said, Hey, who are these, buddy? Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? Tell me what you know. And what did he say? You know. And he tells them exactly who they are. Look what it says. Sir, you know. So he said to me, these are the ones who what? Came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits upon the throne will dwell among them and they shall neither hunger anymore, part of the tribulation curse, nor uh, thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them anymore, nor by heat, for the Lamb is in the midst of, of the throne who will shepherd them and lead them to fountains of living waters. And God will wipe away the tears from their eyes. It's the group under the fifth seal under the altar on the fifth seal who say how long O Lord holy and true to you avenge our blood upon those who dwell upon the earth we've been martyred we've been taken out by those elitists the most powerful nation that's going to the most powerful group on the face of the earth that's coming is who China. who we, we would think China right but who really is seemingly controlling the world right now no, we know it's Satan. Satan's behind all of that. The big tech. Look at how much of our world is being controlled by a handful of people. High tech. You know, the, the Mark Zuckerbergs, the, the, the uh, Bill Gates, the uh, uh, Jeff Bezos. There's a, there's a handful of people, and they're, they're controlling the globe right now. They're going to be the most powerful. They control information, disinformation. And pretty soon, they're going to control whether you can buy and sell. China. 
It's just the, the laboratory, the experiment they're using right now as the population of China is being controlled. Now, I don't worry about any of that because I truly expect my Jesus is coming soon. And I've been praying I'd be found worthy. Yeah. There must be a large number of people that do not make the cut. No kidding. The rapture is a rupture. You're exactly right. How many were there out of the 11? How many? If you want to get down to one, I don't know. Whatever. It was one. I'm not getting down to nothing. What does the text tell you? What's history tell us? Out of the 11, how many, how many were martyred? Yeah. 10. How many died in old age? One. one. God's word is clear throughout all of history. It's always been just a, it's a remnant, beloved. Come on, be honest with me. Out of all the people you know, call themselves Christian, how many really surrender their life and live for the Lord? How many are taking liberties, compromising, appeasing? How many? If, if you have a relative that invites you to their wedding and they're marrying a trans, it's a guy marrying a guy who says he's a girl, what should be your obligation? Pray for him. I listened to a, a teacher I highly respect. Said, well, if they understand where you stand and they understand what you believe about that, then just buy him a gift and go to the wedding. No, I could not affirm that, that abomination. No. When do we take a stand? Do you know how compromised our world, do you know how compromised the church is? Now, listen, I have to ask myself all the time, Lord, show me where I've compromised. Show me where I've appeased. Lord, show me where I'm blind. I don't want to be blind. I want to live for him. I don't care what the world thinks of me. You probably figured it out by now, huh? <laughs> and if all this be so, if all this be so, and if I'm right, then, then it, it is, I implore you, I beg you, I beseech you, present yourselves a living sacrifice unto God by his mercies. You see, all you have to do is offer yourself. You can't do it. Glenn, you can't do it, can you? No way, buddy. You can't do it. I can't do it. But what I can do is I offer myself. I am a priest unto myself. In that, I offer the sacrifice of my life. God, please, here I am. Take me, Lord. Use me, Lord. Fill me, Lord. And only by his mercies do I have the capacity to be able to do that, to offer myself to him unreservedly. Jesus said, if you love husband or wife, mother or father, son or daughter, grandson, granddaughter, more than you love me. Now that's a serious consideration, isn't it? Because how often do those that we love, our biological family, really come in between our relationship with the Lord? And that's where the compromise is really made. That's where the Achilles heel is, isn't it? How do we get to this place where, where this craziness about gender is so acceptable today? Because it started a compromise in a home. Where the son is a homosexual, the daughter's a lesbian. Well, even before that, where the daughter's living with her boyfriend, the boyfriend's living with his girlfriend, 
and they don't seem to be concerned about being married or making things right before God, before the eyes of God. Don't you want his highest and best? But we settled for something so cheap, so low. Hmm. I shouldn't even be talking to you. I should be talking out there somehow, but I don't have that opportunity. <laughs> right or wrong? What was your question? Is that not biblical? I'm not saying it is. No, I'm asking you a question. Is that biblical? That it's always a remnant, that's a small number. Well, based on what you said tonight, that's what we come to. No, I'm not, don't, forget about what I said. What's the well, Bible say? You go so fast, I have to go so fast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me tell you what Jesus said. Now, listen, I won't go fast. Listen to me. Wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to death and destruction, and many will enter therein. Who said that? Perfect love. Perfect love said that. And then he said, narrow is the gate, straight and difficult is the way, and few, few. Paul? He writes, Paul, pour yourself into the faithful few. Few. It's always never been more than few. Look at the history of Israel. Look at the history of, of Old Testament, New Testament. Look at the current church age. We are in the age of what? Apostasy. Make no mistake about it. This is an apostate age we're in. People worship music. Worship more than they worship the Lord and His Word. Isn't that true? It's amazing how many people are falling away from the truth of God's Word. You know, if David, I'll tell you, I mean, I don't care if it's my wife and I and two other couples in my living room. I don't care. I'm going to teach the truth. Because that's what we have to do. We have to teach the truth, we have to live the truth. Right? And then we have the opportunity to share the truth. Know the truth, live the truth, share the truth. Who did that? Cause a revival. Ezra, the scribe. In the Old Testament, Ezra purposed. I just want to know God's word. There was apostate time in Israel. I just want to know God's word. And then he was living God's word. He purposed to know the truth, he purposed to do the truth, and then God gave him the wonderful opportunity to share the truth. Now, how many were won over? Righteous Josiah, one of the most righteous kings in all of Israel, right? One of the few of the four reformers. Josiah wanted to change everything. But the only person who really was reformed was Josiah. As soon as he died, what happened? They went right back to their apostasy. It's hard to live for the Lord. Make no mistake about it. That way is straight, and that way is difficult. But it's such a blessing. Isn't that true? But few really desire to surrender that to the Lord. He died for me, and he's asking me now to live for him. That means I've got to die to self. Is that true? Therefore, I implore you, I beseech you, I beg you, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice unto God. 
holy, acceptable, which is a reasonable act. Basically, in the Greek text, worship. Worship is surrender of our life. What percentage of the church dies? They love their, more, their money more than they love God. What percentage shares their faith? Because they don't believe it. You're going to share with you. Listen, I love this girl. You want to talk? You want me to tell you about my wife? I'll tell you all about it because I love this girl. If I didn't love her, I wouldn't live with her. We, sh- we share what we love, don't we? Why don't they share their faith? It's not real. It's not real. Ever since 1980, that summer of 1980, when I met him for the first time, I haven't stopped talking about him. I can't stop talking about him. Do you understand? There are ways in which you can measure a person's devotion. Now, I'm not being legalistic here. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about legalism. I guess we're way off the course. But I'm not talking about legalism. I'm talking about a love relationship that's demonstrated. I will show you, not by my words, but by my actions. Don't tell me you love me. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? If you love me, you'll do what I command you to do. Jesus' own words. That's how he measures us in our relationship to him, by our devotion. Is that true? Now, I'm not, I'm not upset with you. I'm just upset with this world. Because the, 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 the Christendom is becoming less and less and less an example of what it means to live for Christ and living for themselves. It's all about their prosperity and their pleasures and their compromise. Living fast and loose, but erroneously believing, like the Jews did in Jesus' day, that God was going to save them. Ran to the temple. And if you read Josephus' record of the slaughter that occurred that day in 70 AD, it's horrific, horrific. They thought they were in a relationship with God that didn't exist. That is true of a lot of people today, beloved. I don't want to be self deceived. Do you? No. Isn't it amazing how God just uses a few things to measure our relationship to him? What does he say in Malachi? Go ahead. Knock that chip off my shoulder. What does he say? What does he say? Test him in what? Yeah, how come you're not giving to the, how come you're not giving back to me what I give you? I give you 100% of what you got, I want 10% back. Can we do that? Now, if God were here tonight and he said, look, every time you show up, I'm going to give you $100,000, I just want 10000 back. Will you do that? How many would not do that? You'd be an idiot, right, not to do that. Well, why are we doing it now? So many today. Why is it 98%? Don't trust him. He said, test me and see if I will not open up windows in heaven and shower down upon you blessings for which you do not have room enough to contain. What kind of blessings is he talking about? Relational and spiritual. First of all, your relationship to me. Do you love me? Prove it. Obey me. Obey me if you love me. And then let me show you what I'm going to do for you. Because you do love me. There's there's so much that is so misunderstood about God and his ways, especially today. Such disinformation. We should go home. Maybe tonight. (laughs) I I hope none of this rattles you. I hope it inspires. It causes you, it stirs you and stimulates you to really take inventory of your relationship with the Lord. This woman knows that Jesus is first before her. 
But then she's second. My son is third. You know. but, but she has to know that Jesus is first. And I have to know that in her life, Jesus is first. You know how important that is? That we draw lines? So important. Father, if anything I said is not true, before they leave this sanctuary, before they leave this building, Lord, may it evaporate into forgetfulness. Anything that I said is of any weight, Lord, do not let it fall to the ground. But Lord, may we all take it into our minds and into our hearts and into our lives, Lord. Lord, I know I need change. Change me, Lord. I'm here, Lord. Take me, Lord. Use me, Lord. In any way you see fit, Lord. I want to live my life for your glory. Period. And Lord, I believe that's true of my brothers and sisters who are listening to me right now, here in the sanctuary and over the internet. And so, Lord, help. Make those adjustments that are necessary in our lives so we can display our love and fidelity to you, Lord. Mm. We love you, Jesus. And that when you come, you would find us worthy simply because you are doing what only you can do in and through our lives as we surrender. In your holy name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from Community Chapel of Greenville. For more information and to find more messages like this, please visit to www.ccgreenville.org. It is our desire to see our Lord high and lifted up, and to see His people grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.